All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. <clears throat> Welcome to Sunday school. You know, I was in a small group <clears throat> Bible study in 2003 in Boulder, Colorado, and we went around the room. <clears throat> uh, everybody was uh, tasked by the leader to share their favorite Bible verse, and uh, without, without hesitation, and probably maybe many of you could share the same uh, thought, I went right to Romans 8.28, um, one of the most comforting <clears throat> verses in all of Scripture, in my view. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good uh, to those that are called according to His purpose. Um, and <clears throat> fast forward, as many of you probably can share, your understanding of uh, that verse uh, perhaps has deepened. Uh, it certainly has uh, with me. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about some today uh, as we dive into the second half of Romans chapter 8 um, in Sunday school. So let me, let me open in prayer and we will uh, get down to work here. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You have created all things, you sustain all things, and uh, by the word of your power, uh, you have brought all things into existence. Uh, you know us, you love us, and <clears throat> the tender truth that that intimate knowledge and it also translates to care, uh, to perseverance. Uh, and as we dive into your word this morning, as we continue our our lesson through the book of Romans, Paul's letter uh, to Christians uh, in Rome and relevant today for us in 2024. I pray that you would be near to us, that you would fill us with all manner of joy, uh, of rejoicing in our hearts as we think about what it means to be near uh, to God and how uh, by your hand you're working all things in our life uh, for our good and your glory. Uh, give us uh, clarity in this next hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. It's a great, I, I mentioned last time I was in here, it's, it's, it's pretty fun to kind of snap in and out of these, of these classes as a teacher. We've, we've been doing the rounds with the elders and Kyle, um, and uh, I'm sure <clears throat> I, I, my prayer is that you've been blessed by this teaching. Romans is a wonderful book. The very first men's Bible study we did when back when it was um, uh, the very first Friday morning Bible study back when it was a Thursday morning, I think, up in Oak Ridge. <clears throat> the first thing we did was uh, the book of Romans. Uh, foundational um, truth here, and we thought... What better thing to do than to, to enter into the, to the Sunday school class as well for the whole year. So uh, I hope you've been blessed, and I hope you're excited about the spring where we pivot from the first seven chapters and into eight through the end. So a quick um, orientation. Uh, bear with me. I always need to reorient myself if I'm going to talk about something, and so I like to build from the beginning. <clears throat> so just a reminder of where we are. The first, the spring, the fall semester, we went... Uh, through the first seven chapters, and then we pivoted now in the spring, and we plan to, to continue this class all the way through uh, May um, as we go through the second half of the book of Romans. If you remember, <clears throat> as we began, 
Romans is all about um, Paul's letter to the church in Rome and what was going on in the church in Rome at the time um, that this letter was written was a lot like, is, was a lot like what's going on in America now. And so the truth that we're bringing, the, the things that we're considering relevant to the church in Rome then and now as well for us uh, this day. And we began with man's condition. Uh, Romans chapter 1, everything began, uh, everything starts uh, in terms of what we see around us with suppression of truth. That's in Romans chapter 1. And then we went to <clears throat> the Gentile sinfulness. Again, the church in Rome, Paul was writing to two different groups of people, um, really. Those who, had, those who were in the church, but those who had been churched, uh, and those who had not been churched. And these two groups of people found themselves at odds. And so Paul speaks to the Gentiles first and says, guys, you're sinful. Um, and it's pretty easy to see. You're worldly. You suppress the truth. And oh, by the way, your lies reflect it, right? Um, and then chapter 2 into the Jewish sinfulness, whose biggest problem was self-righteousness. Um, and then culminating in chapter 3, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The problem with man um, is uh, sin. And then pivoting to justification, the doctrine of justification. Uh, and he tied, uh, immediately tied this truth of Christ's work uh, all the way back to Adam and throughout the Old Testament. This is to help uh, the Jewish Christians at the time understand that uh, God is a God. Christ uh, is the Christ who saved us uh, through the work of the Old Testament, not something new. Um, and then we jump into, from this theory, we jump into practice. Uh, and that's where I most recently visited with you guys in, in a teaching role was in chapter 6 uh, with what we do. Uh, how if, if Christ reigns in our lives and in our hearts and his grace is sufficient, why not <clears throat> continue sinning? That was chapter 6. And then 7, at the culmination of last fall, uh, the, the struggle with the knowledge of what you should do, uh, with the reality of remaining remnants in our lives and how we struggle with that. Um, and then as we move into chapter 8, uh, victory uh, we see and the comfort of the nearness of God. Um, and then as we move forward, we're going to continue to connect this into history and then into practical living. Uh, how, we live our, how we live out in the world, how, what the implication of what God has done for us, how that affects how we go into the world and live. Um, and that'll be the rest of this spring. So quick, quick snippets and highlights again. Everything we see in the world, and I remember, by the way, in case you, unless you think I'm insane, I remember hitting these slides uh, the past four times I've taught. But I think it's so important to remind ourselves that suppression of truth, uh, Romans chapter 1 starts with suppression of truth. And if we don't forget, um, we will kind of go along with suppressing the truth. We have to remind ourselves that all manner of ungodliness, all manner of struggles in the world, uh, all manner of, of the mess that we often see around us begins with suppression of truth, the suppression of what God tells us about himself. Um, and this is Romans chapter 1. The progression goes from suppression of truth to darkened hearts. Uh, and from darkened hearts, uh, the exchange of truth. Not only suppression of truth, but then the exchange of truth uh, for a lie. Uh, and the people, we, end up serving the cre creature rather than the creator. Um, 
And then from that, all manner of ungodliness results. Uh, We worship not God, but we worship ourselves. Um, And then all manner of things happen. And these these verses here, I think, so important to recognize. Everybody sees these dishonorable passions, sexual immorality, and we think, "Mm, we're not that bad. Um, And then the next, very next verses, um, he connects that bad living, dishonorable passions to a debased mind. And then goes on to speak about all kinds of other things that uh, are very much within the realm of the last week, probably, for most of us. Covetousness, slander, envy, strife, boastful, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We, from suppression of the truth, we end up not only giving approval to these things, uh, but doing them ourselves. Now, then he pivots, Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2 is all about, and this is Matthew Henry's uh, commentary on chapter 2, in the former chapter, Paul had represented the state of the Gentile world to be as bad and black as the Jews were ready enough to pronounce it. Uh, And he's speaking to the self-righteousness of the Jewish people. Uh, They are very happy at this point to see that, yes, the only thing these Gentile Christians need to do is just be more like us. Um, And now Paul, designed to show the state of the Jews were very bad too, and their sin in many respects more aggravated to prepare his way. He sets himself in this part of the chapter to show that God would proceed upon equal terms of justice with Jews and Gentiles, and not such with a partial hand as they would expect to be in their favor. Uh, So that's chapter 2. And then we're reminded at the culmination of chapter 3 that the covenant of works is completed by Christ. So everyone gets into heaven by good works. It's just Christ's good works on our behalf. Um, We get into heaven by Christ's good works. Thus, by grace, we meet the terms set forth in the original covenant of works. Covenant of works back in the Garden of Eden where God said, obedience for salvation. That still is in play. It's just now Christ's salvation. And the result of that is it doesn't matter what we do because when God looks upon us, he sees Christ's righteousness, that great exchange. Now, this is wonderful truth, but then where do our minds go? Uh, stick with me now because this is fast forwarding through all last semester. Our minds go, great, it doesn't matter what we do. That's Romans chapter 6. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? We'll make Christ look even better by making this covering work even more better. Um, and Paul goes to, and we spent a whole lesson last time I was in here on this, on this reality. And I want to actually stay connected to this because I think it matters. Um, The end of Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, I think this is verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So all that's true. Why not just keep sinning? Uh, Romans chapter 6, before Christ's work on the cross covers us sufficiently. We can't out-sin the grace given to us by Christ. God can't look upon a believer, you, united in Christ, and see anything other than Christ's righteousness. So why not, why not then disregard anything we do because we're covered by Christ? And the answer is because we're united with Christ. And union with Christ matters. And that's where That's where we dwelled quite a bit the last time I was in here, late last fall. Um, John Owen wrote in his exposition on the epistle to the Hebrews, our union with Christ is the principle and measure of all spiritual enjoyments 
and expectations. This is this is um, this is is the beginning of this is the beginning the root of why we say we're a get to church. We're in union with Christ. Therefore, what are the implicate what are the de- what are the implications of that reality? What's the what's the fruit of that reality? What do we do in light of that truth? Um, Westminster Confession, chapter eight, um, says. It pleased God, speaking of Christ, the mediator, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, to be the mediator between God and men, the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior of the church, the heir of all things and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Now, this is the first connection to the topic for today. And the topic for today, um, Kyle has called the golden chain. Um, and this is the first hint, as you see later, uh, Romans 29 and 30, you see this golden chain of connection between what happens in the life of a believer and how the links necessarily, and in a guaranteed way, continue. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. Um, in a anonymous article uh, on Ligonier speaking about union with Christ, uh, the author said these words, because believers are united with Christ in the eternal election, their sins could be imputed to him in the redemptive historical union. So this redemptive historical union is before the foundation of the world. God chose believers to be in him, to be united in Christ. Um, And in a way, Christ truly atoned for the sins of God's people as their sins were placed on him. And in turn, the righteousness of Christ clothed believers because he perfectly represented those with whom he was united eternally. By this spiritual union, God brings the elect from spiritual death to spiritual life. This is the existential aspect of union with Christ. Before this act, believers remain outside of Christ and were dead in sins and trespasses like the rest of fallen humanity. So outside of Christ, we're nothing but the folks of Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, this, these people, uh, uh, us, who are truth suppressors, and when God looks upon them, if we're not united in Christ, he sees just our darkness and sin. John Calvin wrote, understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us, we are, and we're separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. This union with Christ is key. So then, what's the implications? So, Romans 6, uh, verse 12, the question in the, in the first half was, why not sin freely, let grace abound? And he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourselves your members as to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought, brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will, will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So, Neil used to mention quite a bit, if we're united with Christ, which believers are, then these words in Romans 6 uh, challenges us to think that when we go into situations of darkness, we're taking Christ into those same situations. Choose, make decisions 
to do things that bring glory to God. In other words, make decisions to turn away from darkness and to light because you're united to Christ. Now, all that uh, brings us to where we are in Romans chapter 8. Um, and I thought it was, I'm going to tie some of last week's sermon. I thought um, Reverend Sheridan uh, from Tennessee uh, brought us a great message last week from Psalm 16 about the, the reason to be filled with joy. Um, and these two things uh, are just so closely tied. Um, Romans 8 is about stopping and being confident and filled with joy. And the Psalm 16 kind of filled with joy. So we're going to hit that too as we go. But know that's the theme. So let's open. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, then I'll read it here. I'm going to read this, this section of Scripture that we're going to look at um, in its entirety. And then we're going to go through and um, dissect it a little bit. Uh, so Romans 8, starting in 28. It's up here. You can look up or you can look at your Bible, whatever you prefer. Uh, Romans 8, this is God's Word. And we know that for those who love God... All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord." Can anything be more clear? Can Paul be any more clear? Let me, let me think how I can make this abundantly clear. Christ said, you're mine, and that's not going to change. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ Jesus. There's nothing that can separate you. Now, go live in light of that comfort, truth, and, by the way, be filled with grateful joy because of it. Romans 8, uh, 28 through 39, I think. Uh, now, this golden chain that Kyle's talking about, I highlighted in the golden color there. Um, this is uh, pointing to, and we're going to talk about it um, a little bit more, this is pointing to the, the P uh, in the five points of the popular five points of Calvinism from TULIP, right? So we have total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. Um, some people say preservation of the saints. Some people say, what was the other thing you said this morning? I can't remember. <laughs> it's the P. But the point is, is God perseveres. God doesn't let us go. 
Um, and that, um, <clears throat> that doctrine we'll, we'll unpack more as we go forward. Um, okay, so Romans 8, right at the beginning of 28. I love how this starts. And we know that for those who love God. Okay, so, so Paul just unpacked a, a brilliant, just a wonderful set of truths, a wonderful set of verses. Um, and we know that for those who love God, and he, and he, and he caveats the, the rest of it. He, he, he um, makes a distinction. Everything I'm about to say is, is for those who love God. So the natural question we should begin with is, who are these people that love God? And I think Galatians 5 and other places connect uh, union with Christ with love for God. The love, those who love God, very simply, are believers. Those who are united, uh, as we've talked before, to Christ. And I said here in the notes, believers who are united to Christ, whose affections are changed, love Christ more than the world and the things of the world, those who are being sanctified. So those on this, this golden chain. So remember, the life of a Christian is uh, we're sinners. We're, suppressed, we're truth suppressors. Right? We're living for the world. And then there comes a point in your life where you realize that you're a sinner and you need Christ's covering. Um, and at that point, that realization uh, happens and you make a statement of faith and hopefully you join a church and are baptized, right? Sometimes that happens when you're a very young child before you even can remember. Um, and then at that point, uh, Philippians 2 says that God begins to work in your heart to change your affection. You don't really want to suppress truth anymore. You don't want the darkness. You don't long for uh, the things of the world, but you long for Christ and you long for light. And then you start living uh, your life and that sanctification as you grow more and more Christ-like over, over your life. Um, and then you make decisions like the Romans 6 Christian to start actually saying no to sin and yes to what brings glory to God. Uh, this is the path of the believer. This is the path of those who love God. Now, what happens after that? And we know that for those who love God, these folks that love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And then the chain, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined necessarily to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So <clears throat> those who love God, God's working all things together for good. So that's excellent, right? That's good. Now, the question is, what's good? And Paul tells us what that is right here in this verse. The purpose of God guarantees good for his people. For them, this, this is not necessarily ease and quiet or comfort. Put your own thoughts into it. Um, but being like Christ. So it says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what's good? Being conformed to the image of Christ. God's providence rule in such a way as to ensure that everything that happens to us is working for our ultimate good, which Paul immediately identifies as our becoming conformed to the image of Christ. So in no way, and not all of you know this, uh, you've been under good preaching for many years, uh, you know this, but God, Christ here, doesn't guarantee a life of ease and comfort and bliss at all times. Right? In fact, he, he tells us that at times, being conformed to the image of Christ is going to come with uh, suffering. It's going to come potentially, not in all of our lives, but it potentially is going to come with persecution. 
Um, potentially, it's going to come with the effects of life in a fallen world, however that pain and sin manifests itself. Um, loss of children, um, pain in your bodies, um, struggles of various types uh, in this world. Um, life's not always easy. In fact, sometimes um, we, but we know that they are part of God's plan. Things that happen are not independent of God's hand and independent of his work uh, in our lives to make us conform to the image of his son. And with that, with that knowledge, we can be joyful, even in the midst of things that are unpleasant. Um, We talked um, not too long ago about what it means to to think about um, the providence of God that happens in our lives or in the lives in, in our church um, uh, for things that we would not necessarily pray for, right? How many of you have experienced something in the past five years for which you would have never prayed? Absolutely, right? But those things, not just, not just the ease and quiet and comfort, those things God is working together for our good to conform us to the image of his son. That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes, but it's a deepening understanding of uh, entering into those situations, entering into those challenges with confidence that it's not by accident and that you're not lost. That those who love God, those who are in union with Christ, these things are part of a purpose. It's like childbirth. We talked about this a couple times. Um, the pain of, I'm told, I don't know, um, just a <laughs> full disclosure, I don't know, uh, but I'm told the pain, and my wife's told me this, other ladies have told me this, that the pain of childbirth um, is a different kind of pain. It still hurts, same, it's, but it's pain for a purpose, as opposed to, you know, you stub your toe, and that's just irritating pain. But it makes no progress, right? You have a bruise and you lose your toenail or something. Um, childbirth is pain for a purpose, pain to bring life into the world. Um, God made it that way, perhaps to, to give us some um, category for uh, Romans 8.28. Um, and then I want to I just connect this immediately. We're going to come back to this, but I want to connect this immediately um, to Reverend Sheridan's sermon in Psalm 16. I thought, I just, I loved the way he unpacked Um, Psalm 16 last week. Uh, Let's read that one together there at the bottom. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it's interesting. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. 
Um, we don't know exactly um, what was going on at that exact point um, in the psalmist's life, but we know that if we look at the providences of life, if we look at the, uh, the events of our lives in, the, in light of all these things that are true, even the things for which we would not pray are lines in our lot that are pleasant places because those things are pain or joy for a purpose, pain or convenience or, or comfort for a purpose, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Um, and that's, a, that's, a, that's what's going on here is respond and see these things uh, with joy because they're from the hand of God. Okay, Romans 8, verses 30 through 39. So let's get into this golden chain piece of, uh, of these sections of the Scripture. So specifically, we're going to zero in on um, starting in verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Okay, so this is... Um, some scripture that, uh, it, that many people use uh, to support this notion of uh, the perseverance of the saints. Um, again, in the, in, the, in the tulip moniker, it's the P, it's the last one. Um, this is considering the five points of Calvinism. Um, uh, I've quoted this, this man, Danny Myers, uh, from Ligonier, who wrote some stuff on the perseverance of the things, saints that I thought was helpful. Uh, I'll share some of this as we go through. Um, the first thing that can be confusing uh, in this doctrine, in this statement, and there's some, we'll also hit the Westminster Confession of Faith, who has a whole chapter, chapter 17, uh, on the perseverance of the saints. So this can be confusing because it could seem to communicate that God has started something and, and now it's your turn. God set the wheels in motion and now the saints, what, what's our job? To persevere. Right? It kind of implies that if we think about you know, what I've been saying in, in, in Romans chapter 6. Right? Christ is done. It is done. Christ has done all these things. God sees us, or God sees Christ instead of us. And now, um, do we sin? No, we've got to put to death sin. Um, so that kind of feels like pursuing light instead of darkness. That kind of feels like persevering. It's going to be a hard path. Um, we're not saying that life's going to be easy, but it's for our good, and so we have to persevere. We have to stay positive and keep, keep, the, keep the wheels on the bus, right, and keep driving down the road. Um, he teaches, however, the, the Bible teaches, however, that God has done, done, done something. God is doing something, and God will, will do something. The God who starts is the God who finishes. So <clears throat> who is persevering in this in this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. God. That's exactly right. God started, and God is not going to stop. And we live our lives, and we experience things, um, but the, the first notion is that this shouldn't put on you a feeling that, oh, one more burden, one more, I have to persevere to the end, and it's going to, and you know, Practically, it feels like that. It can at times. But know that everything you do is, in, is downstream or in light of God's perseverance because you're united 
to Christ because you're a believer. Um, Philippians 1 says, chapter, or verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. God perseveres. Um, so chapter 17, this is out of the confession of faith, um, of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, point one. Uh, now this is just straight, what does it mean? Um, and what do our fathers uh, in the faith say about this, about this topic? They whom God hath accepted in his beloved uh, Christ, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere to the end and be eternally saved. Okay? Now, in your mind, you're probably thinking, what about practical examples? Um, let's, let's see what, they, let's see what verse, uh, uh, section 2 says. This perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father, upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Christ, the abiding of the Spirit, and of the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which arise also the certainty and infallibility thereof. So this is just an, uh, a, so you have a, you have a truth, you have a timeout, He's like, hey, like, time out. Let's, let's connect this, what I just said, to something bigger. So this is rooted in the work that God has done before the foundation of the world, just so you know. Um, and then section three, where uh, it gets practical again. So I'm going to throw it on you. I'm going to take a time out and remind you that this is, this is part of the historical redemptive union um, and what God has done before the foundation of the world. And then section three um, from the Confession of Faith. Nevertheless... They may, and this is those whom, uh, the subject of our, of our discussion here, um, those united to Christ, nevertheless they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them. So again, let's, 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 we don't, as a Christian, we don't separate from the world. We don't, we don't leave um, the context of living uh, in a world that suppresses the truth, right? We're still there. So through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them. So being saved <clears throat> at that point when Christ covers you, sanctification is a part of living life more and more pleasing to God, but never in this life uh, are we perfect. Uh, there is remnants of sin left. We don't love it anymore as much as we used to, but it remains. So through the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, so we neglect approaching God, fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's and they, again, it's, think about it as us, whereby we incur God's displeasure and grievous Holy Spirit. It's referencing Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts had their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments on themselves. So all this says is that it's saying that God will bring completion to what he started because of his eternal decree and those who he, whom he's bringing to completion may turn out to be real 
pains in the you-know-what <laughs> in the meantime. Uh, they may turn out to be, we may turn out to be really difficult. We may press hard into rebellion at times. The life of saint, the sanctification path for many of us is not a, you know, linear line of on the path to, to glorification. It's got ups and downs. Or if you think about it, curves in, in, in the road. Um, there's obstacles, there's challenges. We are more and less Christ-like as our life goes on, hopefully in a positive and, and, and upward direction, but there's ups and downs. And you may at times look like an unbeliever. And you may incur temporal judgments. There's consequences. Temporal means time. So there, there's, there, there, there may be um, consequences to rebellion, even among Christians. Christians can make mistakes, do dumb things, and be in jail for their entire lives. That's just one bad decision. That's the wrong side of what puts somebody in jail or not, the wrong side of the law. <clears throat> and now a Christian um, who God is bringing all the way to glory is going to be suffering temporal during this world, pain, struggle, and punishment. And that happens. But what God has started... And that's also not to, um, another caveat, this is also not to say that there are those, the scriptures tell us that there are those that claim Christ, there are those that are in the church that are not in the church. Right? There are those that claim Christ that have never had a relationship with Jesus Christ and never will. So there's that reality too. Um, but those who are in Christ, those who are united to Christ, God will bring to completion. That's the perseverance of the saints. John chapter 10, some beautiful language here from Christ in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Mm. So, another couple thoughts on this perseverance of the saints from Romans chapter 8. These, uh, I brought this, uh, this quote, I really think this is, this is helpful, uh, from Danny Myers. <clears throat> the comfort that we derive from reading Romans 8 would be ruined apart from the promise of eternal perseverance. If there's a chance that Christians might not totally and finally be saved, then we would need an adjustment to such claims. Again, John 28, what I just read. Um, instead of the Bible saying what it says, Jesus would have to say, no one will snatch them out of my hand, although they might snatch themselves by a failure to persevere. Do any of you think that way sometimes? I may snatch myself out. I might, I might be so slippery that God drops me out of his hand because I didn't persevere well enough. <clears throat> or imagine Paul saying, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us, again thinking about Romans 8, 38 and 39, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord except for our own weaknesses, or our own weakness. doesn't say that, right? The promise of perseverance, if not eternal, would provide a cruel and false hope of an impossible reality. 
the truth of the matter would be that, that, that we are sovereign rather than God. Verse 38 and 39 of Romans chapter 8. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. One last thing from our friend, Mr. Myers. Yet, contrasting what he just wrote, yet the song that Scripture sings is that Jesus paid it all and upholds it all by the word of his power. Peter's life gives us an example of this hope. Having put his trust in Christ, we see it waver over and over throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus. Yet in the end, we learn that Peter doesn't persevere because he tried harder or had more passion or was even successful, uh, but rather because he was held, always held tightly by his king. The one who was saved by Jesus shows that in the end, he is sustained and secured by Jesus. The one who was sifted by Satan yet secured by his Savior, says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Christ, because the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is Peter's words. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, applying what we've learned. So I gave you two points of application last time I was in here from Romans chapter 6. And Romans chapter 8, I'm adding one more. Romans chapter 8 brings what we were talking about in Romans chapter 6 related to union with Christ. It brings it to more full completion. Um, So the first is uh, recognize that in union with Christ, we need practically to pursue putting sin to death this is this is this is the 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 life um, of a believer who is grateful uh, and doesn't mock the work of christ name specific sins put them to death Um, i spoke about stopping it (laughs) last time we were in here Um, make a decision to turn away from temptation turn away from darkness because not because you want to earn a checkbox or earn your salvation, but because you love Christ more. Number two, uh, in union with Christ, recognize that you're not in this alone, right? As we love our neighbors in Christ, remember that the people to your left and right, and when you go into this service and we're singing with one another, um, and we're looking each other in the eye, perhaps, and smiling and recognizing that we're in the same boat, that you've been indwelled with Christ, and the person to your left and right has too. And if Christ is not ashamed of that brother and sister, then what can you do other than to love them uh, well in light of what Christ, in, in light of the fact that Christ has loved and is loving uh, them? The beautiful thing about church is you, you, you're put into a, a, a room, you're put into, a, into a, a gathering, a fellowship with people that you probably would never connect with in any other way, Right? We tend to connect to people like us or, have, or with people with similar hobbies, right? And we go do things together that we think is fun. Um, we're connected because of our common union with Christ. And that's the more, that's, we're going to be spending eternity together. So get to know one another, right? Um, so now, third point, third point 
of application once we add Romans chapter 8 to the mix. Um, we're going to have like six or eight points of application by the time we're done with the spring. I'm just going to keep building on it. Principle number, uh, principle number three, every day be filled with joy. I don't know about you, but last week um, in the sermon, <clears throat> I just found myself smiling, hearing about why we should be filled with joy. And I, reckon, and, I, and I recognized in that moment that I've not been filled with joy. I've been burdened with uh, to-do list A, B, C, and D, with uh, job frustrations, with having to have a pastoral search right now. I mean, name your, name your, name your thing that, uh, that causes you to get grumpy. Uh, all things are working together to help us be conformed to the image of Christ. Be filled with joy. I said here, we're, we're united to Christ, therefore Christ is with us specifically, and he's not abandoning us. What he began, he will finish. Therefore, be filled with joy that all things do indeed work together uh, for good. I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Be filled with joy. Thoughts, comments, questions. That is Romans chapter 8, second half that I have to bring you. Would you repeat the comment? by Owens one more time so I can hear it and get it in my mind, please. Uh, on the union with Christ? Yes, that one that you quoted earlier uh, in the in the In the lesson? lesson? Yeah. Yes. It's from his exposition uh, uh, on Hebrews. Uh, it's, he says, Our union with Christ is the principle and measure of all spiritual enjoyments and expectations wow that is so deep <laughs> thank you thank you very much yeah this whole thing of uh, perseverance it, it's tricky but it's important to study and to grasp it's so much easier to be an Arminian where you just say well I, I got saved and then I lost it the next week and I got <laughs> saved again but no, we need to grasp this because God is both telling us that he's to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we, ha we have to do something. But then he also tells, that, tells us that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So God's at work, yet we're, we're persevering. So, but it's all God at work. So... We just need to grasp that and go with it and be be happy. Yeah, it's like mm -hmm. we, we talk about um, we've talked about in the past. Is this true about God, or is is does God is God the judge, or is God love? Is God truth, or is God love? Um, yes. Right. Do we persevere? Uh, do we pursue righteousness? Does God cover us no matter what we do? We, our minds want to put things in boxes, right? Um, and uh, God takes the top off the box. 
along those lines, why is it you think that the golden chain uh, does not put in sanctification? Because that's what we've been talking about here. Oh, why does the word sanctification not use? Yes. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I think I think the I think the way our fathers, uh, the way the word is defined, um, um, is captured in what good means in Romans chapter eight. So I think the the the, the idea of sanctification is the idea of being conformed to the image of Christ, right? And so I don't know, kind of the whole thing is sanctification, but good question. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, Craig said uh, to emphasize what God is doing and not what we're doing. Our involvement. Yeah, exactly. Is there, is there also a sense that because we're unified with Christ, there's that now but not yet where un- our union defines that relationship? And as I think about my relationship with my wife, my dad calls it marriage a... Uh, the sanctification station, um, and um, but you're in my union with my wife. I'm I'm one with her. There's a joy that we had when we first got married. There's a joy that we have now, but that changes over time because I'm becoming more one with her. Hopefully, by the grace of God, and we're becoming more one. And I think that's maybe why that sanctification is not necessarily expressly mentioned there. Mm. Good thoughts. Sanctification station, I like that. Uh, I think that the difference is that in all of the other things mentioned in uh, 8.30, the, the calling, the predestination, the justification, the glorification, all these are things that God does. But the sanctification is something we cooperate with God in doing. So I think that was the distinction that made Paul leave out that word in that particular passage mm. because he's concentrating on what God is doing in us. Yeah, that's, that's good. If I may, um, the idea of sanctification is right in the previous verse, conform to the image of the Son. Mm-hmm. So, and it's connected to predestination. So, I'm thinking maybe we don't want to make too much that Paul simply left it out in another verse when it's right in the previous verse. Um, I, I don't know that the, the chain is ever in tended to be exhaustive to the point where we would be disappointed that it's not in one and when it's in another verse. So that's just a comment for us to think about. Yeah, the pro- the, I mean, the, how it practically plays out um, uh, in the life of a believer um, practically involves, as long as, if we have some, li- some, some years or months or days to live, uh, 
these things practically play out through um, a life where decisions, uh, it feels like decisions have to be made. And uh, like the Romans 6 idea, we need to make decisions for Christ. Uh, And those decisions, even those decisions, although we are making decisions and and cooperating, uh, you, you said a minute ago, those decisions are, are rooted in affections, and those affections are shaped by God, right? And so the whole big pro, the whole thing is what is God doing and in the hearts uh, and lives of us? So from time to time, I need um, word pictures of English words in the Bible, obviously not having been written in English. Uh, When Eric asked me this morning what the P word is, I'm like, I don't know, perspicuity, no, perpetuity, no, preservation, perseverance, and what was it? Um, And so it's interesting, though, to look back when um, the Westminster Divines and whatnot pick an English word, why do they pick it? And so... Um, being a, a Latin nerd, I, I look those up sometimes. And so preservation means that, that you just keep something beforehand. That's not the word that they chose. We don't really want to be just kept as we started out, right? Whereas perseverance comes from, uh, our English word comes from per, which is Latin for through, throughout, all the way through. It's the same word that would be us being through Christ's body and Christ being back through us. Also, the same word that would be used for God sticking to us through everything that we go through in this life. And the second word, um, severus, is a severe, strict sticking to. So the image that comes from perseverance is this through sticking, strict, so sticking to that you can't possibly be lost. Mm. It's like this sticky throughout um, permeating word. Um, so anyway, now maybe I'll remember that word. That's great. You know, I asked you that this morning. We're getting ready. I know, and I got it wrong. And I'm like, no, I, I, it was this morning. I'm like, just to say, okay, we haven't talked about Sunday school lesson all week. I've been gone. I'm like, so just what's your gut? What's the P in tulip? Um, and I'm glad that sparked all that deep thought. <laughs> What you're saying will now be recorded for the rest uh, of your lives. Adair, you made me think of a, the difference between a jar of um, preserved jelly and a grapevine. Preservation is the preserved jelly. The grapevine is the perseverance. So there's a little metaphor. <laughs> so where's the wine and how does that get mixed in? <laughs> <laughs> That's the glorification. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, fantastic. For the recording, it was said that that was the glorification. That's the one. <laughs> Any other thoughts, folks? Well, thank you for coming and for your attention. <clears throat> It's a great privilege to, to talk about these things, to have the opportunity to study these things, and then to have uh, great conversations like this one this morning. Um, 
let's pray and ask God to prepare our hearts uh, to worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these such deep realities um, that are so hard for us to understand at times. Uh, We want simplicity, uh, and you are everything and all things. And we pray that you would, just in that, this moment, that you would, uh, because of that truth, that you would fill us up with praise, that you would fill us up with awe as we approach worship and, and consider eternity that you would give us hearts, um, even even in this just simple um, discussion, that you would give us reason to sing your praises, uh, to focus on your word. Um, I pray that you would fill us up uh, with your word and give us strength as we think about entering into another week, uh, that we could enter into uh, the lots that each of us have, crooked as they may be, Uh, with joy, knowing that um, your sovereign hand is over us, protecting us, leading us, and conforming us to your image. I pray that you would bless our conversations, the families represented in this room. I pray that the truth of your word would spread uh, from the people here in this room to uh, children and other family members, and and that many would be comforted uh, through the truth of your word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.